weather like this today, it actually reminds me of when Matt and I used to uh, downhill ski together. Of course, uh, we didn't use skis. We used his uh, father's Subaru station wagon. <laughs> we take it down the hill. It's fun. <laughs> we can laugh about it now because we're still alive. <laughs> Actually, on the hill by our old church at the office. <laughs> 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 yeah. Do as we say, kids, not as we do. Uh, let's turn to the book of Zephaniah, chapter 1. Give you a little extra time because it's not one we always turn to. So, Zephaniah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place, and the name of the Chemerims with the priests, and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, and them that worship and swear by the Lord, and that swear by Malcolm, and them that are turned back from the Lord, and those that have not sought the Lord, nor inquired for him. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests, and it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish all those that weep on the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in the day, saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate and an howling from the second and a great crashing from the hills. Howl, ye inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves. That say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, 
a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Okay, many times in the Old Testament, we can read accounts of the children of Israel straying from the Lord and turning their eyes elsewhere. In this account in Zephaniah, the message is directly at the kingdom of Judah during the period in which the Jewish people were fragmented into two kingdoms ruled separately, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. At this time, Judah was ruled by King Josiah. Josiah took the throne at a very young age, but he was a very good king. Josiah sought to do God's will in an age where his people had turned to all sorts of evils and idolatry. The two kings that preceded him, his father Ammon, and grandfather Manasseh were wicked kings turned the king, uh, who turned the kingdom of Judah to pagan faiths. With that bloodline, it's an amazing thing that young Josiah was not corrupted in the ways of his father and grandfather. And Josiah himself is spoke of quite highly in scripture. We see this in 2 Kings uh, chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bosgath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And then in 2 Kings 23, verses 23 to 26. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holden to the Lord in Jerusalem, Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits, and the wizards, and the images, and the idols, and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, did Josiah put away, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. What we see here in both Second Kings and Zephaniah is that while Josiah was a godly man, and while he did his very best to turn his kingdom to God and follow his will, that did not turn God's wrath away from his subjects that continued in their pagan ways. <clears throat> this is not a new concept for any of us, I would hope. We see in scriptures that actions have consequences, and association does not imply safety. Noah and his family were spared while the rest of the earth was wiped out because of their unrighteousness. Lot's family, minus his wife, was spared from the judgment that came upon his neighbors in Sodom and Gomorrah. There are also accounts in scriptures where we see those that do follow the Lord, and they are not exempt from punishment when they disobey his commands. 
Moses was not allowed access to the promised land for his disobedience in striking the rock twice to bring forth water for the children of Israel rather than speaking to it as commanded. David was punished for his sin with Bathsheba, and the cost was the life of his son that came from that union. This is an important message for us as believers to remember. There is an important lesson here. Being part of a church body that takes great care to follow the scriptures does not mean that you yourself are taking great care to follow the scriptures. It's very easy to sit and contribute nothing. That's not a help. You need to be pushing yourself to be an approved workman, ready to help. A few days ago, I watched an interesting documentary on Eugene Sandow. Uh, he was a Victorian-era strongman. He wrote exercise books and sold exercise equipment for a brief time. He was also the personal trainer to King George V. Arnold Schwarzenegger has cited Sandow as the pioneer to modern-day bodybuilding, and the Mr. Olympia Sandow Trophy for bodybuilding is named in his honor. But what made him stand out from the other famous circus strongmen of his time is that he was very outspoken in telling the people that he was not uniquely gifted with superhuman strength, but rather that he worked very hard to get his physique. And with the proper diet and exercise regimen, anybody could better their own physical health. The same rule applies to the health of every Christian alive today. There are some among us who may have the gift of public speaking and be very eloquent when presenting the scriptures from the platform, but the knowledge they possess is not some unattainable thing that they alone hold. All believers are capable of understanding what they must work to achieve. Just like someone that makes a New Year's resolution to get in shape, then abandons that cause a week or two in, the believer can say they want to grow. But if they don't take action, nothing will ever come of it, and their growth will remain stunted. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth, and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. It's important to note here, because of Old English, fat is actually a good thing. Uh, it means prospered or blessed, rather than obese. <laughs> The subject is one I've spoken on in the past, and it's one that will probably be touched on in the future, but it's one that never seems to register. I must admit that I've been very discouraged with the state of the church as a whole for quite some time now. I feel bad because when I'm asked to speak, my first thought many times is, what's the point? Look at our attendance. I can talk about the importance of being here Sunday mornings to worship and to grow but most times I'm only addressing the believers that are already faithful and here every Sunday anyways. So perhaps there's someone listening on tape or online that needs to hear this and make, be convicted to change, and that's the best I can hope for. I don't care what your excuse is. If you're too sick in the morning or too tired from the night before to be here for God on Sunday before noon, then I doubt your recovery will be so miraculous that by 12.01 you will be restored to full health and begin doing whatever it is you find so important. Any activity you do instead of church on Sunday morning is a choice you make to put in front of God. You need to ask yourself always, is this what God wants me to do? 
There's lots of things I'd love to do. I'd be lying if I told you my life was spent in a monastery devoted to nothing but the reading and study of scripture. I love sports, for example. But if the game I'm interested in requires me to skip church for travel to get there, or for the game itself, I don't go. I want to go, but I don't. God comes first. I have friends and family that I'd love to spend time with, and some that I haven't seen in a very long time. If seeing them requires me to miss church, then I guess I'll see them next time. God comes first. Now, when I say that, uh, when I say that church is the body of Christ, uh, you can go to another city and visit your family. You may not be able to be here in Guelph, but you will find the local body of believers to fellowship with. If you're at a family reunion with saved relatives, take time to remember the Lord if he's a priority in your life. If there's no local church body that you know of, take the time privately to set that aside for the Lord. Any excuse you may have for not honoring God each and every week sounds just as lame as you not taking care of your health for the week because there was an amazing special on at the local buffet so you couldn't really exercise. God's not impressed by that. Outside of illness or a job that requires you to be here, like uh, be there, like an ER doctor, nurse, police officer, firefighter, there's absolutely no suitable excuse to not be here. There's absolutely no excuse for not taking time to study the scriptures for yourself during the week. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the first time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. This passage is a very strong warning to Christians that at some time in your spiritual life, the training wheels need to come off. God's not interested in pew warmers. He wants all believers to be ready to spring into service when he requires them. Much like a country's social programs, if there are more people on welfare than there are working people paying into the system, the system will collapse. It sounds harsh, but it's an important lesson to learn, and it starts by showing up to participate. The other thing I, I'm reminded of, if any of you have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it's a wonderful story of Eric Little, the English Olympic sprinter who was actually born in China to a missionary family, and he refused to run on a Sunday, and he ran in another event that was not his strong suit and won it. God honored his choice to not run on a Sunday. And later on in his life, he actually died as a hero. During World War II, he was offered the opportunity to get out of a Japanese prison camp in a prisoner exchange that was negotiated by Winston Churchill. And he gave his spot to a lady that was with child and stayed behind and died. But uh, an amazing testimony for the Lord. He always took a stand that God came first. Let's look at Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
In the past, in this assembly, as well as others, we've had people leave. Some have left because of distance, or there's another work that's closer to their home and easier to attend, or they've moved and had to search out a new home. God bless you. That's understandable. Those situations are bound to occur, and we thank God for the time that you fellowshiped with us. And I pray that God prospers you and the church family that you now have fellowship with. There are others that leave a church because they don't like a speaker or there's not enough special programs that they find interesting. They want somebody to take on yet another project, but they themselves don't want to shoulder any of the responsibility. I have no sympathy for you. Leave. God's not in the entertainment business. If that's what you're looking for, there's plenty of false churches that will meet that need. My father once told me, we're here to feed the sheep, not to entertain the goats. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9. He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. As I see it, there are only three sound reasons to leave a church body. Number one, their doctrine has strayed from scripture and they refuse to accept correction. Number two, your family moves so that it's no longer viable to travel to that church body. Number three, the local group that you are with has been blessed and grown so much that you're needed to help in the founding of another local work. We need, we need to examine why we do what we do. Are we going through the motions when we're here? Or are we genuinely ready to do what God requires of us? We can't be part-timers in this. This is a lifetime commitment. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor or cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, will I spew thee out of my mouth. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1-5. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, for, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick, out of his place, except thou repent. I remember talking to our departed brother, uh, Dave Mills, years ago. Actually, um, I think it was before Nancy and I were even married. It was quite a while ago. He asked me when he could expect to see me up at the pulpit to give a sermon. When I responded, I told him in all sincerity that speaking is not my gift, which is true. But beyond that, when I looked at the people that I fellowshiped with, like him, or my uncle Henry, or my father, or a great many other saints, some of whom have since passed away, what could I possibly hope to teach them that they didn't already know in far greater detail than I did? His response was essentially 
that it wasn't important that everybody learned something new, but that I could serve as an encouragement to the older, more mature saints that the generation coming up behind them is studying, is learning, and is growing. It gives hope for the future of the church here on earth until the Lord comes that there is a faithful remnant that remains. Giving a message is simply putting your personal Bible study discoveries to paper and sharing them with your brothers and sisters at your local assembly. When it's framed in that light, the only reason you can't share is if you haven't studied. If it's a big overblown production, it's not honoring to God. It's not about you. All of this that we do every Sunday morning is for him and him alone. All I want to say in conclusion is please make God a priority in your life. Study, show up, and be ready to serve. Chris, could I have you close? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful message we have just heard of. May the challenges before each one of us for a various level of relationship with thee. You know, some of us are struggling and help us the strong one to help the others so that we can be drawn closer to thee each day. And thank you that for life that we can have our God came first, but not only that, but move to the next step, that God comes first. And also in the future, God will come first all the days of our life. Thank you once again for the wonderful message. Dismiss us, all of us, with your blessing. And if the Lord not come, reunite us once again next Sunday. For we pray all these things in our Savior's holy and precious name. Amen.